This is the Aussie Animal Show on Triple A Radio. My name is Rob Armstrong. Welcome to the wildlife. Tonight's program begins with a, a chat with Jessica Robinson from the Ballarat Koala Rescue and Advocacy. As a state election approaches, this group is trying to get koalas on the agenda. Here's an update. Jessica, what's happening with koalas? In terms of Gordon, not much. We, we still haven't heard anything. I have co- tried to contact the minister's office a few times and I've had no response. So contrary to their promise to let me know and keep me updated, they have not, unfortunately. I'm not surprised at, at all. Yeah, so we, we don't know what's happening with Gordon. Nothing's happening down there physically. So, yeah, that's that's still on hold for us. But we've been really busy with our broader campaign. Uh, our advocacy group have taken on a much bigger campaign to support koalas in blue gums in Victoria. Basically getting the message out to people about the facts that we've uncovered through our research and through our experience. So we developed a fact sheet, which we have shared publicly on social media. And we've also shared this with every Victorian MP leading up to the election. So that includes independents, which have only sort of become um, obvious recently. So we've it's, it's been quite an administrative nightmare, actually, trying to get all these letters out. But we've had lots of really interesting conversations with people. So it's, it's definitely had people contact us for more information. So we've been able to have conversations, which is really great. And this, of course, is not just getting the message out, but it's building a support base for the koala. It's a brilliant way to do it. Absolutely. So we're really trying to educate not just the, the public, but the, the MPs that can actually make a real difference in Parliament. So we we sent the way that we actually designed it is we, we sent them the fact sheet and we actually sent them a survey. So it was a digital survey with seven questions. And the questions are actually what we are going we are requesting the government we are asking the government uh, we've thought about this long and hard and you know we we're, we're fairly well versed on what's going on in um in the blue gums we think we are it's very as as you know it's not very transparent but we've we we've managed to uncover a lot of information given that it is so um non-transparent the survey is basically i guess a pledge in a sense so we've asked the MPs to to sign our pledge by um, stating whether they support or whether they don't support the questions in the survey. So the first one being, I mean, these, look, some of them are extreme. I'm just going to say up front, some of them are quite drastic and we understand that, but we also understand that there is actually no other solution now. So there might have been, you know, 10 years ago, but there isn't now. So um, because we have so many plantations, you know, due to be harvested and so many koalas relying dependent on them with no native habitat for them to go to. There is no other solution really other than 
an immediate moratorium on all clearing of blue gums until they find a solution because the only other solution is that those koalas are going to die one way or the other. You know, if if they're not culled because they can't be saved and for their own welfare, if they are culled, that's not a solution as far as I'm concerned. If they're left, then they suffer greatly because they will have nowhere to go and they will starve, they will get hit by cars. There's There's nothing for them. So, yeah, our first our first item on our survey is an immediate moratorium on all harvesting of blue gums until a solution is found. And so that might have scared a few off. A lot of them have written to us and had lots of conversations, but they haven't committed to the survey. They, I think they just feel a bit nervous about it. It is a really complex issue. It's really, really complex. But really, honestly, I, I, I cannot, I cannot start to even wonder what they would do other than culling them to save them. I mean, the only other thing they could do is leave them and then they suffer greatly. So there is there is actually no solution other than that immediate moratorium on clearing if we're going to save those 47,000 koalas, at least it, save some of them by leaving some of the blue gums. Yeah, look, that's one of seven. We had the AJP support us on all items, all seven. We've had support from the Greens, not on the moratorium. They have actually not supported that. Look, they they want an immediate end to logging of native forests, and that's fantastic. And we totally support that, right? Because this is this is half the problem that we our koalas have no native habitat to go to. They haven't supported the moratorium because they understand obviously there needs to be an industry for harvesting because we need we need timber. But I don't think they understand the full extent of you know. Not having that moratorium means that those koalas will die. I think they actually, they think that koalas can be relocated, but that is not, that that won't happen. Look, we've got the skill and ability to relocate koalas with minimum stress, but the question is, where do you put them? Where do they go? Exactly. And DELP know that. DELP understand that. Oh, they're very quick to throw their hands up in the air and state honestly, you know, what do we do? And this is why the moratorium is the only thing that makes uh, sense. Or, or, as you also mentioned, leaving a percentage of the plantation there in in the ground to act as wildlife corridors. Yeah, which is also something that the Greens do not support. So they they haven't supported those key those key points. Which and we think that we think that that is generally a misunderstanding of the of the situation. They just don't understand that koalas can't easily be relocated. And we're talking about forty seven thousand. That's an approximate, but you know this is a lot of koalas. We don't have the DELP don't have the resources to relocate that many koalas. No. Yeah, and this is a problem that the government has made. They've created this problem. They could have dealt with this problem many many years ago, and they didn't. So this is why, you know. There is very few solutions. Yeah, yep. And there's certainly no quick fix. There's no quick fix. In in the past 10 years, and, and it's longer than 10 years since this, these questions were first being asked about that koalas in plantations, if a planting program had been started uh, using land care and other voluntary groups, we would have had, mm, you know, 10, 15-year-old stands of trees to act as corridors to allow migration of the koalas. But it didn't happen, and it's something that can't be done overnight. So the only thing that can be done is don't add to the problem by removing the koala's habitat, which is the plantation. So moratorium makes sense to me. And um, 
you know, I mean, if it had been put in place years ago, I'm sure business would have found a, um, a solution to it by now because they, they had to protect their investment. Yes. Yeah, so one, one really good thing that the Greens do support, and that is an independent regulator. So an independent wildlife regulator. That is needed. That is insanely important for the future of our wildlife. So, yeah, we were really happy to see that they supported that. Look, they support the, the regeneration of forests as well. I mean, that goes with their strategy as well. But, yeah, I, I, I just don't think koalas are first and foremost their priority, whereas AJP do support us on all on all items. Well, I should say, should say Anti-Medic supports us. Anti-Medic and um, Cassandra Westwood from the AJP. Right. Well, let's just hope they get a few more faces in, in the Senate this time around. Yeah, and I'd just like to mention we also had an independent, Kate Sinclair, uh, sorry, an independent, Kate Lardner from Mornington. She's running in Mornington and uh, we've had Kate Sinclair from the Greens independently of the party. I mean, she's she's come back and she's engaged with our survey before the Greens actually came back as a party uh, to us. And Clifford Hayes from the Sustainable Party as well. He has supported all items. Most items, sorry. Oh, I, th- I would have thought you'd had a few more replies by now. Is that a little disappointing? Oh, it's incredibly disappointing. You know, look, we had, look, I've had lots of engagement with, you know, with some parties and some independents. There's been an interest and they want to know more. I've had people call me and actually say, look, we support this 100%, but they won't engage in the survey. So no real commitment. So, yeah, I mean, I think what this, what we, at the very least, what we've done is we've started the conversation and we're building some awareness about the, the seriousness of the situation. The independent regulator is an important step because at this moment there isn't really a conservation department anymore. It just doesn't exist. No, exactly. Um, it's, 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 yeah, nobody actually really knows what goes on. There is an article coming out that I was interviewed for on ABC. It's coming out this week. And the conservation regulator were actually asked in that article about the 16 koalas that were found deceased in the blue gum in Hamilton. So that article will have their official answer, I believe. And there will be two other experts commenting on that answer as well. So look out for that article. Well, you've you've got the ball rolling. I mean, it's almost like if it's left on the back burner, nothing was going to happen. So it really took you guys to stir the pot, as the saying goes. I must have said it's not just me. We've got an incredible group of passionate women in this group that are all contributing. We just constantly, we just keep working at it. It's not something that we're, we're prepared to let lie yet. Locally, has the koala season started? Are you getting more call-outs? We've been a bit nervous, actually, because like between this time and December last year, we had nine rescues, um, which is probably not many for those in the, in the southwest, but um, in Ballarat, we just don't have that many koalas left. But we had nine rescues that time, and so we've been on guard. But no, we haven't had any in the last couple of months. Fingers crossed. I mean, just hopefully people becoming more aware of their movements uh, on roads, et cetera, and being a bit more careful. But as you said, it's probably got more to do with the very limited population locally. Definitely. It's like every year it gets less and less. I mean, like we, in the last 18 months, we've lost so many, you know, I think I can't give you an exact number, but it's, yeah, so 35 rescues in the last 18 months. I think we've, 
yeah, we've probably lost 70%. Yeah. All right, Jess, we just wanted to touch base. I knew That's you'd right. have been busy. And I wish you all the best with the awareness campaign. And Thanks, a- Rob. And yep. I hope you get a few more replies from politicians. Oh, time's up now, so there's no more time. So we'll be creating a scorecard and we'll be getting that out to the general public. We'll speak again when that scorecard's prepared. Not saying it'll have any effect directly on the election, but there are a lot of people who, well, this might be an issue that will affect the way they vote. Koalas are much loved. You know, I mean, there's there's such a great divide between the situation in Victoria and the rest of Australia, and certainly koalas are much loved. Absolutely. Jessica, thank you for your time. Thanks, Rob. In the last program, I spoke with Peter Preuss, former president of the Australian Wildlife Protection Council, about his new book, The Red Sands of Hatta. Of course, Hatta refers to Hatta Kukai National Park, about 70 kilometres from Swan Hill in the northwest of Victoria. The Australian Wildlife Protection Council fought a 10-year campaign to try and prevent the killing of kangaroos in the national park. And Pete's novel tells that story. Also, during the week, Pete and I were chatting about RSPCA Victoria and their breach of their own national policy. It appears the RSPCA is now selling kangaroo meat products for pets. As I said, this contravenes their own national policy. In communication with the RSPCA, they refuse interviews In fact, the first reply uh, I got from them was nonsensical. When I pointed out a few issues, I got a second email reply that referred to the national policy. So, we'll chat with Pete about his book and the special offer being made. Then we'll rip into RSPCA. Peter, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much, Rob. Now, I really appreciate it. Look, I've had some messages from friends regarding the last interview, and there was a little bit of confusion about this $5 donation business and the price of the book and do they have to pay postage and blah, blah, blah. I wanted to get you back on one to clarify that. So can you clearly explain what the deal is and how do we access that deal? Okay. Well, I'm sorry if I was confusing, but basically if you press the buy now from the publisher button, it was the book will cost $27.95 plus postage of about $10. So you're looking at $37.95. I'm foregoing royalties and I'm throwing in the, 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 the postage so that it's $27.95 if somebody buys it from the website. And from that $27.95, I will donate to the group that they nominate. So it's not an extra $5. I can't make it any cheaper. In fact, uh, you mentioned before the interview that there were some uh, discrepancies in the price when you looked. 
I can't understand why there is that discrepancy. And I've been to the people that make the website and they've gone, oh, gee, don't know. I, I think I, I might have mucked up a little bit trying to find out how much it would cost if somebody bought it in America. Um, and somehow this is, this is teething pains for the new website. Yep, um, understandable, price, Pete. Understandable. It happens with yeah. all of us. Oh, well, this is why I've gone with a few friendlies to start with, so I can apologise to the likes of yourselves or, or the AWPC or, or the Victorian Kangaroo Alliance if, if there's any hiccups. And there will be. Uh, I've never made a website before, so this is all new territory and I'm completely computer illiterate. When there's a problem, I'm reliant on having to go back to my um, technology to you geeky guys who, who have created this site. It's a bloody beautiful site, by the way, I think, but it's got its problems and, you know, we'll sort it out. But I hope that that clarifies to your listeners. They're paying $27.95 Australian and out of that comes postage and the donation. No more. And I get, like, I, I think I've worked out $1.94 if it all works out. <laughs> but then, I've given away more books than I've sold. It's going to take a long time at that rate to, to make it up. This is a this is not a money-making thing for me. As you well know, Rob, I I just want this story out there. I really want to let people know what happened to us, you and I, and a whole heap of other people back in the 80s and 90s. I want people to be accountable for what they did and just let everyone know that we're in a, a, a shocking situation when it comes to the protection of our wildlife in Australia. In Victoria, no one is protecting wildlife except volunteers. The, the average Bob does not know that. Everyone loves our wildlife, but what we're doing to them is ridiculously bad. And I think I have put that out there in this book, but in a way that I hope people will read it because you can get pretty depressed with this stuff and it can be pretty horrible. So I've relied on our old humour back in the... 30 years ago, there's a few dad jokes in there, but there's a lot of funny scenes, I think, just to break it up a little. But if people were to read the book, they're going to be armed with the the arguments that they need when people tell them, oh, you have to kill kangaroos in a national park, for God's sake. You know, it just doesn't make sense to you and I, but people are indoctrinated. And, and in selling this book, I've even had discussions, dare I say almost arguments, with people going, I don't know what you're talking about. You have to kill roos, don't you? Yeah, read the book, come back and tell me later. So I've given a lot of books away <laughs> just to try and make my point. Peter, I've had a look at the latest survey uh, figures and I, am, uh, I was mistaken in the last program when I said there are no kangaroos in the Mallee. I made a mistake in the last program. I said there were no kangaroos left in the Mallee. Apparently, the last population counts show there is one kangaroo per square kilometre. I've been contacted by... Uh, your listeners might know that I was president of an organisation called the Australian Wildlife Protection Council. You were also president of that same organisation. But the most recent president, Peter Halen, contacted me recently to say he has surveyed the, the, the Mallee area. He knows what he's looking for. He's not a man that I see as a person who exaggerates. He couldn't find any. Now, if they were one per kilometre, I reckon he would have seen a few. 
Now, that's not to say there's none out there. Of course not. But the numbers are so down, so down. And I I know when I was up there uh, in January, they weren't big numbers, and yet they were organising another cull, cull. They call it a cull. Kill in Hadakolkai National Park. And On that point, Peter, uh, just to fill you in what I've been doing today, in between other things, I've been trying to find out if this proposed kill is a part of a management plan for Hadakulkine. Can I just run through my day so far? Uh, (laughs) Extensive searches. The Department of Conservation list all their park management plans. I went through all eight Google pages of management plans, and there's not one management plan listed for Hadakulkine. So I went to Parks Victoria. Uh, Once again, page after page of management plans for national parks, not one for Hadakulkine National Park. So I thought, oh, I'm stupid. I'm old. Uh, I don't know how to use this computer. Let's ring them. So let's ring Delp up in Swan Hill. They'll know. No, they're only open half a day a week. So let's ring head office. I'm sorry, we can't give you that information. Let's ring, I don't know, Parks Victoria, Swan Hill, nothing. They don't exist anymore. Let's try and ring the ranger station at Hadakulkai National Park. I even contacted Swan Hill Police trying to get a phone number for that ranger station. It doesn't exist. It's all got to go through Parks Victoria on email through this central process. You know what? It would be an ideal time. Let's provoke people. Um, if there's any young'uns out there that want to get out there with a chainsaw, take that bloody fence down while nobody's looking. I was thinking, Pete, if you wanted to go old school, let's get a current affairs program involved and do a media stunt where we go up there as a couple of old-timers that uh, really had enough, this rubbish has gone on long enough, and we run a bobcat through that fence. Does that sound like a plan? <laughs> oh, but honestly, mate, it's appealing more and more all the time. You cannot well, contact. You hey, let's let's put an announcement out there. We're going to do that uh, next week. On busy Tuesday, <laughs> uh, I am I'm actually on gonna... Wednesday. So let's let's narrow it down. Let's say Thursday. And oh, no, no, we, we, you know what I'm getting at here. Yeah, um, we, we can do a live-to-air broadcast there. next Thursday night from the back of the Bobcat. Yeah, yeah, but you'll know where they are to be able to contact them next week. Those rangers' offices will be full of people, probably big security, burly Maoris <laughs> or something, but there'll be people up there. Oh, uh, mate, use. look, it's ludicrous. I went through the hoops today. In the old days... We had numbers we could ring and people actually answered the phone and said, listen, mate, I haven't got that info, but I'll get back to you in an hour. Now I'm told to go to a central processing information desk where I will put in an email and within three to five working days, I'll get a reply. It is bizarre. It is really, really honestly bizarre. Your listeners might might have heard your previous um, conversation with me, but I, 
I was up there recently and I did meet an arranger and he was really upset at the fact that they were going to be killing kangaroos again and they timetabled it in such a way that, like, crazy, when foxes were cubbing. Yep. Now, who makes these decisions? Obviously, he was really upset because he said, every cub will survive because there will be joeys to eat. There will be offal to eat. And when they're finished eating the, the, the offal and the joeys, they'll be taking their toll on every lizard and, and goanna and, and, and possum and everything else in the park. I don't know, mate. You're saying that there's nobody in the park to, to, to manage this apart from that poor guy. He was just running around to make sure that we all had, you know, paid our, our camping fees. But who makes these decisions? Now, I know you, you did say you were going to perhaps mention the, the big RSPCA thing. There's a good opportunity to do it. Their staff don't know what they've decided to do. I've rang them and and you get the person answering the phone and they're horrified, absolutely horrified, that the RSPCA has done a backflip and are selling kangaroo meat for dog food. Okay, let's go into that uh, because Hadakukine, really, mate, that's a work in progress. And I think we should get a press release out and uh, – and inform them we're ripping down the fence and see what they do. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to do it. We can threaten no, no. to do it. but Well, I, we have had this conversation, and I did say the perfect place for a media presentation on it is like 50 metres from the front gate where there is this hole almost big enough for you to get under. A kangaroo won't do that. It's still kangaroo-proof but it is absolutely shock as far as being rabbit-proof, and that's about 50 metres from the front gate. Oh, no wonder they haven't seen it. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah it's 50, 50 metres. God. Yeah, that's right. And the root-proof part is holding up very well, but the rabbit-proof bits are, are gone. They're, they're just, I mean, metal doesn't last forever underground, and so it's, it's just disintegrating. So it's now... Um, an exclusion zone for, for kangaroos, but not for rabbits. Sorry, Peter. Mornpool bandicoots. No, sorry. Yeah. Mate, RSPCA. I contacted you and said, hey, Pete, are you aware RSPCA is selling kangaroo pet food? What was your response? Well, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I quickly uh, rang them and discovered that the person that, that, that answers the phone did not know anything about it, promised that she would get back to me, and she did. And after a few calls, it was a matter of contacting by email their customer relations people, and I've had a nice polite response from them saying that they're going to review the situation, but they were basically responding to, well, the, he the heading of my my letter to them was Shoeworth would be spinning in his grave. Now, for your listeners, I know there's listeners that might not be Australian, might, might not be Victorian. Shoeworth was the head of the Royal uh, RSPCA, uh, Royal Society for the Protection of Animals, for how long, Rob? About 43 years. 43 years. Then after that, he was a patron until his death. Right, and he, he was a strong strong campaigner against the commercial exploitation of kangaroos 
not just because he liked kangaroos. He, he was able to prove time and time again, all the RSPCA generally were the level of cruelty that is involved, and that's what they're on about. They're not on about the conservation issues or the farming issues. They're just straight out and out. This is the cruelest industry for wildlife anywhere in the world. And that was the, the, that was the stance of the RSPCA. And now all of a sudden, and it is all of a sudden, it's like very recently they have started selling kangaroo meat um, as dog food purely as a moneymaker, absolutely as a moneymaker. And when you go into their website, what do you see? Donate here, donate here. There's nothing about any of their campaigns anymore. There's nothing about anything that they do. It's just these sad-looking dogs and cats. Fair enough, that's their mainstay, but just donate. That's all they tell you to do. I'm angry with the RSPCA. I want to say something, but I'm not sure if I legally can, so I'm going to say it anyway. They've extracted every cent they can from every person's will and bequest to support native wildlife. Now they've exhausted that. They think they can make more money out of selling our wildlife. That's what's happening with RSPCA. Well, this goes back a fair bit too, and there is a little bit of this in the book where the Australian Wildlife Protection Council was one of the first organisations to run around after bushfires looking for injured animals. Now, you know as well as I do, most of the ones that we found were well and truly cooked. Those that weren't needed to be euthanised, so it was a mission, a mercy mission for much of the, the time. But we, we did find quite a lot of animals, particularly koalas, and they appeared on television, they appeared on, you know, and all of a sudden the RSPCA was having rescuers going out as well. So they bought into it then. And, but in fairness to them, I thought that they stayed onto it and they stayed true to their word, wanting to protect wildlife. Now I'm thinking they just did that for the dollars back then. Now that might be a bad reflection on what they were doing back then because I'm angry about what they're doing right now. Dr. Hugh Worth pulled me aside. We were actually arguing. It, a lot of people would think that the AWPC was in league with RSPCA, but often we're in conflict with them because of policy up against action. We were more involved with the campaign where the RSPCA would talk about the, a campaign. So there was often conflict, but he pulled me aside and he made sure that I understood that he wanted it known that the act just the act of spotlighting an animal at night is an act of cruelty. Before you pull the trigger and shoot the thing, the spotlighting alone is an act of cruelty. So that's why the industry, the kangaroo industry, has to stop. As you said, he'd be turning in his grave. He'd be spinning. Yep. Look, Ninon Phillips, I can hear a screeching at me now. Yeah. Oh, that's what that noise is. I thought uh, too, I didn't know what it was. Yeah, it's Nino. <laughs> That'll be it. Yeah. That'll be a... yeah. Oh, mate, look, we sound like a couple of old cronies. But honestly, oh, I couldn't believe it. That's why uh, it was so. It was so much synchronicity involved. When you come back into my life, that sounds a little bit weird, but you know what I'm talking about. At this time, just when suddenly my Facebook is being flooded with ads by the RSPCA Victoria 
trying to get me to buy kangaroo pet food for your dog. Yeah, this is a bit that I don't get either. There's you getting these ads on Facebook, and when you ring them, the the person that answers the phone genuinely did not know. Like, it's the right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing. Now, I'm not saying that the person answering the phone makes decisions, but you'd think they would have a reasonable knowledge of what their organisation was on about. Obviously, Peter, the marketing of these products is done by a third party. This is just a financial arrangement by RSPCA. Let me tell you what happened. I jumped on the phone and didn't get anywhere, so I emailed RSPCA, and they come back to me and said, look, well, thank you very much for your inquiry. Um, we'll pass you on to our media department because uh, I requested an interview. I want to haul someone over the coals over this. I, I was livid. I got a reply that said uh, from their media unit, the RSPCA is involved with domestic pets. Wildlife is the control of DELP. RSPCA should be disgusted. Every person should change their will right now and cut out RSPCA. Well, um, on that note, and this is why I, I made a point of saying that uh, Hugh Worth would be spinning in his grave in my letters to them, Many, many, many people will have the RSPCA, the Royal Society for the Protection of Animals, in their will because of Hugh Now, not all of them are there because of wildlife or agricultural animals, as you say, um, but a lot of them would be. A yeah, hell sure. would have just gone along with their hero, Hugh because he was so good at explaining things, like you said, the mere fact of... Um, an animal being spotlighted is enough cruelty, yet alone the joeys that get left behind, yet alone the animals that get shot and not killed outright, yet alone the fact that there's... A lot of your listeners might not realise how big this industry is. Um, as we speak, and for your listeners that might be overseas and it'll be a different time for them, at night in Australia we're, we're shooting... Like, what is it, seven million a year? You divide that by how many? 365 days of the year. Divide that by, say, the eight hours per night. Divide that by the the 60 minutes in an hour. Divide that by the 60 seconds in um, uh, a minute. And you've got something like every five seconds a kangaroo getting shot. It's quite bizarre. You do the maths and it's almost unbelievable. Add to that. Um, the impasse joeys and the absolute joeys. Then you've got joeys. the impasse joeys that are left with every one of those shots if it's a female. Yep. The, the joey foot. It is the cruelest industry you can possibly have. And it's not police. There's nobody out there. I mean, like you say, you can't even get the department that's responsible on the phone. So the guys that are doing this have got nobody to account to. All these phone calls I made today, I made them outside lunch breaks, Moco, morning tea, House of the Dragon replays. I tried to pick times where people should be at their desk to answer inquiries, and it doesn't help. Oh, mate, look. Well, it's quite desperate. Anyway, that is why, after 20 years of <laughs> being totally not part of this debate, I've come out with this book.
Um, yeah. It's been on the back burner for a long, long time. I've, I've, I've brought it out. Every time there's an issue on the TV, I go, ah, oh, I've got to go and I've got to finish this book. I've got to finish this book. Anyway, I finally have, and I'm hoping what it does do is get people to read it that are not, that might not otherwise read it. Like, in other words, if you're in the, like, we're really throwing it out there for how bad it is, how cruel it is. There's plenty of stuff to read on that basis. But this is a novel that is just, I hope, an easy read, but at the same time gives you the facts and figures that are behind the, the industry. Oh, um, mate. Oh, I enjoyed it so much. Point, but I'm sort of explaining why I've, I've come out now because it has to be. That, yeah. that has to be this information provided to people somehow. In our interview, uh, it was interesting, uh, Alyssa from the VKA asked, how do we put out press releases? It seems it was a hell of a lot easier back then than it is now. I've thought a lot about that since that interview and wondered why it is so hard for organisations now. I think she alluded to it to some extent, that you can only put so much in the papers. It's not like the, <laughs> you can add an extra page or oh, another 10 minutes on the news. And there's that much overload of all sorts of things. But we did have the advantage back in those days of there being one organisation you'd send your press release to and then they would send it out and then you sit back and wait for the media to contact you. And it worked quite well. These days, you really do have to have a contact in each of the radio stations and each of the television stations and each of the newspapers. But... We also find that the average person, if you speak to them, won't believe most of what you say. It's so horrific that they go, ah, you're a crazy person. <laughs> you're like, you're, you're eccentric. You're, you're this, you're that, whatever. On that point, Pete, today in the hours I searched through pages trying to get in contact with this ranger station that had a cool kind, and the reason I wanted to contact them is to find out if there is a management plan and is there a authority to control wildlife issues or under what permit system they're killing these kangaroos, the last six left in the park. Apparently those six can't live. They've got to be shot as well. So I went through page after page and guess what I found? Our lovely in conservation department, which really isn't a uh, conservation department anymore, but DELP have a page on kangaroo management and why they need to be controlled. Now, item number two is straight out of the 1960s. It said kangaroos need to be controlled because of conflict with crops, plantations, fences and farming. Now, how many reports by Grig and CSIRO and everyone else in the 70s, 80s and 90s all said there's no conflict? It just doesn't exist. But today, in 2022, DELP is still quoting that 1960s rubbish. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. It's a narrative. They're selling a narrative. Mm -hmm. If I could just plug my little book again, but my book, but the website, if people get onto the website, there is a, a free chapter in there. It's the final chapter. I've mentioned this before, but the postscript is another case study, and it is where a pair of farmers really did not want to kill kangaroos. And the National Parks and Wildlife Service went, well, you haven't been killing kangaroos for, what, 11, 12 years. 
let's do a study on this. And the study revealed that their property was improving, their profitability was improving, everything was directed at not killing kangaroos on a commercial basis at all. And what did they do? They went in and killed every single one. Not, not because, that, and those, those property managers had to move on because they couldn't live with that. But National Parks and Wildlife Service allowed every single kangaroo to get shot, just get rid of the evidence that you don't need to shoot them. Why? It, it's, it's beyond belief. No, that couldn't happen, Peter. It's not possible. You're making that up. I yeah, know you're well, not. The last chapter of my book gives all the facts and figures. <laughs> and, I mean, ironically, the National Parks and Wildlife Department gave me the figures <laughs> before they decided, uh-oh, this is a little bit of a worry, and then wrote me a letter and said, there's no more research going on and we will issue so many tags for that property, and that was more tags than the, the number of kangaroos. Well, they issue more tags for reds in this state than there are red kangaroos. So why should it be different on that property? Yeah. Oh, mate, look, I am sure that right now my mate over there in Wales is sitting back going, well, it's not a koala issue. I'm, I'm listening tonight for the koalas. Uh, but he's shaking his head saying, this can't be true. It cannot be true. But guess what? He's dealt long enough with our Victorian and Australian governments to realise not only is it true, it's par for the course. It's how they operate. Unbelievable. There are still places. I've got a friend at the moment who's in that back uh, Queensland. He's saying that they did in kangaroos. But he admitted on his way to that site, very, very few in certain spots. So there is patchy. But yep. generally speaking, I reckon we're we're looking down the barrel now. It's 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 getting really serious. Peter, what I ask myself is, what would Peter Rawlinson say about the current situation? Well, he'd probably quote Darwin. <laughs> I was a student of Peter Rawlinson. That Darwin basically said something to the effect that it may be a long time coming, but the fate of the kangaroo is is sealed. Um, and that's going back into the, when was it, the 1800s? 1800s, yeah. When he realised how kangaroos were being treated even then. Now, it's taken a long time, but and I, I hope it doesn't happen. I hope they're wrong. But it's looking very, very serious, I think. Peter, in the 80s, convinced the Victorian state government through the AWPC and ACF to stop the commercial killing of kangaroos because it was a species threatening process. The thing that shatters me is how much smarter were our politicians back then in the early 80s? Yeah, they were smart because they could just promise you something and then know that it's not going to last. We're talking about when in 84 when the government had allowed the commercial shooting of kangaroos in Victoria for the first time and they went from prior to that, um, they had basically a system where um, if a farmer thought he had a problem with kangaroos, he could just shoot what he wanted, but the obligation was to let the authorities know of how many they were being they were shooting. So there was no reason why a farmer wouldn't let them know. Well, let's say only half of them let them know, just to be safe. But they said 5,000 were being shot each year on that basis because it wasn't commercial. As soon as they allowed commercial killing, it went up to 30,000 almost immediately. And it stayed at that for three years, 
And then the CSIRO, that's the, your non-Australian listeners, the, the, the biggest scientific organisation in the country, did a study and went, there is less than 100,000 left. And that's when the Labor Party in Victoria said, whoop, okay, we'll stop it and not only stop it, but we'll never, ever allow it to happen again. And this is why I'm surprised if it was a, a Liberal Party that now allowed it, business, 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 money, 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 where you go, all right, but it's another Labor Party that has gone, yeah, all right, you've run out of kangaroos in, in New South Wales, come on down to Victoria, you can have ours. It won't last. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, that statement was made by Evan Walker. I believe it was, yes. I believed him. Yeah, we, and we all felt safe. We could point our fingers at South Australia, Queensland, New South Wales, now, all the other states and say, ah, listen, you mongrels, you're shooting kangaroos for commercial industry, let's attack you. But we felt safe because we believed Evan Walker when he said it will never happen again. Yet it's the same party that said that, that allowed it to happen. Oh, I don't know, mate. Uh, look, I'm well, sounding um, like a crabby old man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's easy to be crabby. Um, again, for you. Yeah, overseas listeners, although even Victorians won't know this, Victorian Parliament just passed a law that um, if you protest on a logging site, uh, you're up for a $21,000 fine and, and a year's jail. Yep. Um, that's if the loggers feel intimidated by your presence. Now, <laughs> have a look at us. <laughs> We're going to intimidate them pretty quickly. That's a that's that's sort of uh, in the eye of the beholder. But there, that was passed unanimously in Parliament, and I dare say, um, all parties went for that one. Now you go, what the hell is going on? You d we don't have the right to even voice our opinion. Now that's on forestry. Ah, uh... just for anything. No, but it also impacts upon a long-running issue on this program, the koalas and the blue gum plantations. Yep, yep. Well, yep. That, you're not allowed to protest that. They... Uh, but are you allowed to rescue, as required by the Protection of Animals Act 1985? This will be the next court case. Well, it'll be an interesting test. I'm not in there protesting. I'm in there rescuing, as required by Potka 1985. Well, you know, well, you look pretty intimidating. <laughs> I'll smile a lot. I'll visit you in. in I'll <laughs> yeah, get get me a a good cellmate, will you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, mate, look. That's... I don't know whether I'll let you do the podcast from in there. <laughs> oh, thanks very much. That's all I need. <laughs> uh look, we we've discussed this with other people that they're not aware of their requirement to actually do something to intervene if an animal is in stress, uh, being injured or being mistreated. A lot of people don't realise you could be charged for not doing something under the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act. Yeah, but somebody's so, actually got to be there to charge you. That's the point. Yep. And they will they'll be there to charge people if they're voicing their opinion, but they won't necessarily be there if somebody's ignoring... The pain and suffering of wildlife. I, I suggest anyone goes in there and wears a fluoro top that says wildlife rescue on it. And I'd like to see them have you charged as a protester, especially if you're a member of a voluntary organisation like Wildlife Vic or something like that. 
Pete, listen, mate, uh, this was actually this was going to be a five minute chat about clarifying the donation deal on your book from last week's program. But this is what I love. Uh, yeah, we went off on all sorts of tangents. So let's get back to that. The one thing I realized as we were talking is your, your listeners are probably going, what the hell is the site? <laughs> we haven't mentioned the name of the site. I was just you know? about to say, to finish it off, can you please give us the website? Okay. It is www.theredsandsofhatter.com. All one word with the red sands of Hatter. Most people will be able to spell the red sands of, but Hatter is H-A-T-T-A-H. So it's www.theredsandsofhatter.com. And that's that'll take you straight to the site. Um, if, if there is any confusion with uh, the pricing, please... Just email. There is a contact thing. You can buy it, obviously, from Australia, but I have just recently added the UK, New Zealand and America simply because they're English-speaking and the book's written in English. But that doesn't mean people from, you know, Zimbabwe all the way to Afghanistan can buy it. Just email me and then I'll work out what costs it is, what postage it is and so forth. And bear in mind... Your listeners, just to remind them, it's not a money-making thing. It is a, an educational tool, I hope, and just a way of getting the message out there on what we're we're doing in a, I won't say light-hearted. It's not light-hearted, but it's an easy read. The comments I'm getting back from people is that you did what? So that in, a, in itself means the story needed to be told because today's activists and, and, and animal welfare campaigners didn't know about Hatter. It slipped past. Sure, they've seen reports or they knew something went on or they got a faint memory of a protest or something, but the insanity of Hatter Kukai National Park should be a... I was going to say board game, but you've already brought out a board game of Hatticle Kind. But it should be compulsory reading for every animal activist. Yeah, thanks. It, uh, it is. I'm, I mean, we were conned. We were lied to. We thought we were, had the upper hand. We thought at one stage, we even thought we perhaps even won. They killed them all. Shot them all. We can't let this happen again. Peter Preuss at theredsandsofhatter.com. Uh, Peter and I rave on forever. You should have been at some of the AWPC committee meetings that went on almost till dawn. We should not be in the room together, the two of us. Peter, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Rob. Listen, uh, Peter did say, if I wish to mention the fact that anyone listening to the program who would like to purchase his, his book, go to his website. There is a special offer. It includes postage, and Peter is foregoing his author's royalties and making a donation of $5 per book to groups involved in wildlife. I'm featured in the book as one of the characters, or at least... Part of me is featured in the book as one of the characters. Pete said it would be possibly advantageous if I was to remind people that Bill 
who's in the book The President of the Australian Wildlife Protection Council, is loosely based around a combination of Peter and myself. But now I'm just a humble wildlife rescuer. Our family rescue group is called the Central Goldfields Wildlife Rescue, so if you are so inclined and would like to support our rescue operations as the group you nominate to receive that $5 donation. The cost of raising wildlife is absolutely ridiculous. It's gone through the roof and $5 will go a long way. Okay, Pete, thank you very much for your generosity. The Red Sands of Hatter.org. I took no joy in ripping into the RSPCA. Over the years, I've worked with them and argued against them on other issues. But they've deserted our kangaroos. They've gone across to the dark side. They're selling kangaroo product. Product that is produced by the same industry their policies claim are cruel and inhumane. Doesn't make any sense. I thought I'd contact a few friends and see what their thoughts are. First cab off the rank is Alyssa, the wonderful Alyssa from the Victorian Kangaroo Alliance. Let's have a look at those policies of the RSPCA Vic. RSPCA, contrary to their national policy, are now selling and promoting kangaroo food for pets. What are your thoughts? Uh, look, initially I was pretty shocked about it, obviously upset about it, but it, it was particularly surprising to me because actually just back in May, Dr. Rebecca Ayers, I hope I'm saying her name right, from the RSPCA spoke out really well against the commodification of kangaroos uh, on ABC Landline. And so she spoke about the issues with the lack of monitoring at the point of kill, uh, lack of guaranteed accuracy, and how profit motivates increased killing whilst also disincentivizing the development of more humane um, methods of coexistence. So given her statements, which I was actually really impressed with at the time, it was even more shocking to see that they were actually selling them. So I did a bit of a deep dive into their policies, which I'm working on an open letter. And, of course, the one that you mentioned, like, you know, the kicker being the E4.1.3, that they're opposed to the killing of wild animals for commercial utilisation, but they've got, unless it's a wild animal management policy meeting the criteria specified in policy E2. So I looked into policy E2, if you'd like me to, have to go into that. Oh, yeah, please. I got as far as E1 and <laughs> gave up. No, seriously, I never knew about this E2 policy until yeah. only a couple of days ago. So please fill me in. I mean, e, E1, I've actually, you know, I've included E1 as well, E1.2, which is that RSPCA Australia believes that wherever human activities have the potential to have a negative impact on wild animals, whether directly or indirectly, we have a duty to ensure that they are conducted in a way that causes as little injury, suffering or distress to animals as possible. And which obviously, is a general covering clause, really. Yeah, but, I mean, that in itself is, it doesn't jive with the kangaroo industry, which is actively increasing the numbers of kangaroos shot and therefore the numbers of kangaroos wounded and the numbers of joeys bashed to death or the joeys left orphaned. 
And, you know, we know that in Victoria, for example, they said it was to reduce waste from non-commercial killing, but uh, the the rates of killing have actually tripled since commercialisation. So we know that commercialising the kangaroo industry actively increases the number of kangaroos being killed. So anyway, into E2, there's a few different clauses that are relevant here that are contravened by selling kangaroo meat. So E2.1, so this is, to paraphrase, talking about they acknowledge the need to control wild animals at times, but they say that it must be either to protect the welfare of individual animals, to help conserve a threatened, endangered or vulnerable native species, or to reduce adverse impacts on human activities or the environment. So this is out of step, you know, promoting kangaroo meat isn't covered by those clauses. So as Dr. Ayer said in the program, that that this is not the purpose of the commercial kangaroo industry, is not to meet these criteria. The purpose of the, of the kangaroo industry is to make money. Shooters are issued with tags that can be used at the landholder's request without any evidence of any welfare, sustainability or human impact issues. Landholders do not need to have tried non-lethal methods before calling in shooters in Victoria. And in addition, shooters are actively seeking properties to shoot on rather than responding to a particular issue that needs to be addressed. So, you know, if they were to be in accordance with this policy, it would mean that the kangaroo shot would have be some health issue affecting the kangaroos, which obviously then they couldn't be used for meat. There's no risk to other native species and there's non-lethal alternatives to adverse impact on human activities. So there's really, the, the kangaroo industry does not fit within those parameters. Also, Alyssa, Greg, CSIRO, everyone since the 80s has stated that kangaroos do not impact on farming situations mm, anyway. Yes. It, it's just a narrative that's been developed to justify the industry. Oh, and it's been well and true. Like, you know, I often think that the, the marketers behind the industry you know, they've, they've really done their job well that so many people just believe this stuff when it's mostly nonsense or it's all nonsense. So then we go into E2.9.2. So it says management programs must be aimed at reducing adverse impacts rather than simply reducing the numbers of animals. RSPCA is opposed to the use of incentive methods such as bounty systems where the focus is on killing animals rather than reducing impacts. And so, as I said before, the commercialisation of kangaroos is a, essentially a bounty system where the goal is to earn money per kilo rather than to reduce impacts. And then I've just used a segment from E2.9.3, which is that lethal methods must only be used where there is no non-lethal humane alternative available that is effective at achieving the program's age um, aims. And so, again, that comes back to exactly what Dr Ayres said in the ABC landline program that the goal of the commercial industry is not to control quote unquote like problem kangaroos the aim is to turn a profit and so there's no looking at non-lethal alternatives it's entirely lethal and then we've got E.10.1 which is RSPCA Australia is opposed to the use of inhumane methods of controlling or managing wild animals a totally humane method is one which does not cause any pain, suffering or distress to target or non-target animals. 
And now anyone who knows anything about the kangaroo industry knows that it is far from humane and it inevitably results in non-fatal wounding and orphaning of joeys, um, both of which die slow, painful deaths. Also that the code of practice involves the bashing of furred in pouch joeys and the code itself notes that the humaneness of this method is entirely dependent on the skill and determination of the shooter. So it can easily be highly inhumane and there's no one there in the field to, to know either way what they're doing with these animals. Also the fact that kangaroos are highly social and regularly terrorising them and taking the large animals out of their mob is impacting their mob structure and behaviour. And again, E10.3 talks about the humaneness of a given control method is influenced by the application and skill of the operator. And it says that control methods must be applied in the best possible way by trained and competent operators. (laughs) And again, we know that The skills base for kangaroo shooters is flawed or lacking. So there's errors are inevitable. There's no joey bashing proficiency test. There's no proficiency test of how to shoot an at-foot joey that's on the fly. There's no independent oversight at the point of kill. There's no, no way of knowing that there's any attempt to minimize distress and suffering. And then we've got E. 2.10.5. So RSPCA, Australia believes there is a continuing need to improve current control methods or replace them with more humane and effective alternatives. The RSPCA supports research and development of humane alternatives, including the replacement of lethal methods with humane and effective non-lethal methods, such as reproductive control. And so... Again, as noted by Dr. Ayres, and as previously um, noted by Dr. Hugh Worth, the drive for profit in the kangaroo industry is increasing the killing and actively disincentivizing the development of more humane means of coexistence. So there are better options available when they are genuinely needed, which we believe is rare, but these options are ignored. Whilst a shooter can be booked Um, quickly and easily. In Victoria, they can be booked over the Service Victoria app in just three minutes. So there is no incentive to do better whilst this commercial industry exists. So that's pretty much the rundown of policy E2. So you can then see that claiming that they accept wild animal management programs that meet the criteria specified in policy E2 does not cover them for kangaroo killing and therefore they should not be supporting the kangaroo industry. Further to that as well, the kangaroo industry does not meet um, the policies come under Section G on humane killing, which, yeah, it, <laughs> it's just way, way off there. I, and, I mean, that's a whole other section that I, I won't read through, but, um, you know. Alyssa, Alyssa, don't beat around the bush. Is there any way the RSPCA can justify the selling of the kangaroo product? No, selling kangaroos is selling kangaroo meat is absolutely in controversial um, contravention of their policies. I, I don't see how they can possibly excuse it. Do you know what they informed me? What the, the RSPCA is not responsible for wildlife. That's DELP's responsibility. Oh, in Victoria. heaven help us. <laughs> 
and they are involved with domestic animals, in quotes, mm. dogs, cats, horses, and small animals, and an agricultural stock in numbers of less than 10. That was their official reply from their media department. Mm. It really makes you question, doesn't it? You know, why have these detailed policies on wildlife if apparently wildlife is outside of their sphere of interest? Um, when they've certainly had involvement in other wildlife issues in the past as well. So it just seems like a cop-out, doesn't it? It's a shame you haven't done your homework on this. <laughs> Honestly, I was really disappointed because, uh, you know, I definitely acknowledge that there's issues with, with the RSPCA and, and I, I can see why people have problems with things that they do, but I've... I don't consider myself to be an RSPCA hater. Like I was there at the wetlands when Dr. Liz Walker came out um, to speak out against duck shooting and stuff like that. So I thought, oh, you know, they actually do some good stuff for wildlife. And so, yeah, I suppose it, it really sucked to see that, you know, they're supporting kangaroo meat when it is so clearly opposed to their policies. And um yeah, I just I think it's just such a simple solution to just take it off their shelves and don't be providing, you know, it's basically an implied endorsement of a really unethical product. Well, it's not implied. My Facebook is bombarded every day with promotions from RSPCA telling me to buy Roo pet food for my dog. Mm. That's yes. not implied. That That's an active promotional campaign that they're paying yeah. probably a third party to run for them. Yeah, that's pretty blatant really, isn't it? Uh, Alyssa, I won't keep you. I know you've got some other things happening there, <laughs> but thank you for taking the time. This is just the tip of a very, very large iceberg. It appears as though the RSPCA for many years has taken donations, requests from people in their wills to support wildlife, to help and protect wildlife and to stop wildlife slaughter. And now they've realised that the killing industry offers more money. It's obviously a sellout. Yeah, extremely disappointing. And, look, I hope that the, the, the current scrutiny that's coming their way because of this will make them um, realise that there's just completely untenable for them to continue to support this awful, unethical industry. For many, many years, the RSPCA were considered the authority on what is humane and not humane regarding animals. And they had a steadfast policy that the kangaroo killing industry is inhumane. Dr. Hugh Worth stated continuously the opposition to the killing industry. It's just totally horrific. And to get nothing but gobbledygook back from the RSPCA's media department, it doesn't bode well. It has to be exposed, and we will be doing a separate program, and hopefully you will be available for that as well, Alyssa. Oh, you know, I always make some time for you, Rob. Oh, thank you. It's a great pleasure. People are starting to talk. <laughs> Alyssa Wormald, Victoria Kangaroo Alliance. Go to vickangas.org. Have a good night. Thank you. <laughs>
Paddy Mark, the founder of Animal Liberation Victoria. Paddy wasn't able to do an interview, but she did post through a prepared statement. Paddy has a long history with the RSPCA, and it shows in this statement. I started to have serious frustrations and disappointments with Hugh Worth and the RSPCA back in 1983. I was young and naive and genuinely believed they were there for animals, all animals. But I've learnt over 40 years nothing could be further from the truth. I attended many joint meetings with Hugh Worth and Peter Barber called the Kindred Societies back in the 1980s. I had such high hopes for working alongside the RSPCA to ban the battery cage. Only to find, as the years clicked on, they preferred to work with the egg industry and other animal industries instead. The RSPCA even going into business with the largest abuse of animals on the planet, putting their logos and recommending animal products that we proved with undercover video footage caused horrific suffering and pain to animals. It was the final betrayal to me. They became, in my books anyway, the enemy of the majority of animals. It doesn't surprise me they are now selling out our dear, forsaken kangaroos by promoting kangaroo products. The RSPCA is outdated and with weak knees. This is dangerous, though, as the public still think of them as the animal champions they were over a century ago. If the RSPCA is selling our kangaroos, one of the world's most admired wildlife, what hope do the humble hen and factory farm piglet have? It's time the public see the RSPCA for who they now really are. Only one of numerous dog rescue groups who use their public persona to make a lot of money. This is good for the dogs they help, but not for all creatures great and small, including the beloved kangaroos. Thank you very much, Paddy. Paddy Mark, founder, Animal Liberation Victoria. A quick grab now from Jesse from Ballarat Koala Rescue. A lot of people have the perception that the RSPC actually do help wildlife. I mean, they, they collected millions of dollars from people for wildlife after the fires. So people obviously believed that they, they were directly helping wildlife. So as far as I'm concerned, I think it's insanely hypocritical. I mean, they're, they're about the welfare of animals and they're selling room meat to, as dog food. It's illogical. It doesn't make sense. Well, that's it. Another program took no joy in bringing RSPCA to task over this horrific bad business decision they've made. Let's see what happens. If you feel so inclined, jump on the phone to your local RSPCA branch and say, this is not on, bucko. Smarten yourself up. If you make regular donations to RSPCA, ring them and tell them you will not be doing it while they're selling wildlife product in contravention of their own national policy. Give them a call. Tell them what you think. This is The Wildlife.